It's the most murderous time of the year When my rivals are dropping and everyone's stopping to scream out in fear It's the most murderous time of the year He's looking at you, kid. It's beginning to look a lot like murder Won't you please stop your struggling, you know I just want one thing to carve out your heart. Christmas is just days away, and I really hope that you are prepared, both with your gifts physically and just mentally for everything that goes down on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Especially if you're going to be sitting with your family on Christmas. I don't personally have a huge family to spend my holidays with, but I do have plenty of friends that tell me all about the horror stories. All about the fighting, the chaos, the bickering, this, that, and another. Our families may be some of the most annoying humans that grace their presence in our lives, but they are also supposed to be the ones that you can depend on the most. Our families are our flesh, our blood, and the bond that we share with them should be rather strong. That's not always the case. Where many of us want to see our loved ones thrive and succeed, there are others that don't. And what better day or holiday, if you will, of the year to show that to your loved ones than Christmas? The holidays are supposed to be a time for peace, family, and togetherness. A time for friends, for giving, for roaring fires, roasting potatoes, and a jolly little fat man. But throughout the years of our Christmas history, murder hasn't taken a back seat. Crime doesn't celebrate holidays. Or maybe it does. Maybe it just gets worse. I, I, I'm actually gonna... The jury's still out on that one. Now that may sound a bit dramatic that murder comes during holiday season, but it's not. In fact, during the holidays is some of the most unaliving times, both by someone killing others and by them just taking their own lives. The holidays are in fact the most murderous times of year. With that said, I would like to share with you a rather dark Christmas holiday. That of 1987, when Ronald Gene Simmons took the lives of 14 of his family members and two of his former co-workers, making this the worst family massacre in U.S. history. Unlike another family massacre that you may know of caused by John List, Richard was different in his own grounds. He was, in fact, a dominating domestic abuser. He was very threatened by the thought of losing control over his family, which turned him to slaughtering them. And this was actually more about the need to possess over them. What kind of gets me about Ronald Simmons is that he wanted to spare his family from humiliation or even poverty. However, he still made sure that they lived in crushing poverty and isolation. Maybe he did this so that he could control them because if you control every aspect of a human from their finances to the way they exist, then they depend on you. And we're going to come to learn that Ronald wanted everybody to depend on him because he wanted all of the power. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a very merry episode of What the Actual F. Christmas is here, and we're still talking murder, just on a bit of a grander scale. And of course, with a little bit of cheer and some eggnog. And by eggnog, I mean eggnog-flavored creamer. Because it's 8 in the morning and I'm drinking coffee, not alcohol. Anyways, let's begin the episode. It's the most murderous time of the year. <laughs> it was a bizarre story in Russellville, Arkansas today. A man who reportedly quit his job over low pay went on a shooting spree with two handguns. Peter Van Zandt reports. A man, a man armed with two pistols this morning went on a shooting spree in two Arkansas towns, killing seven people and wounding four others. Police say the suspect, Gene Simmons, had just quit his job this morning at a local convenience store in Russellville, Arkansas, and then began hunting down his victims. It looks like uh, he knew or at least had contact with uh, these people at various times. Julie Money narrowly escaped death when the suspect started firing in her office building. And the door flew open and the man shot him just point blank in the face. And then he turned and, and I screamed and he turned and he shot at me and just, it just went just past my hair. I felt the heat from it and I just dove and he took off. Officials say Simmons barricaded himself for a time at a freight company, but then surrendered without firing on police. Several of the wounded remain hospitalized tonight, one with a gunshot to the head. Police say they haven't been able to establish a motive for the shootings, but they believe Simmons was targeting former employers. Tonight, police say Simmons is refusing to speak. Ronald Gene Simmons was born on July 15th of 1940 in Chicago, Illinois. He was born to Loretta and William Simmons. Just three years later, his father would die of a stroke. A short while later, his mother would remarry and the family would move to Little Rock, Arkansas. This was the first of several times that the family would move around Arkansas during the next decade. Early on, it was claimed that Gene was a bully. In fact, he showed narcissistic and controlling tendencies very early on in life. He hit his younger siblings, manipulated them, and even his parents. He would erupt in fits of rage and never back down or admit that he was wrong. His younger brother would actually go on to describe him as being a bully and nothing but a tyrant. When he was in the second grade, his family moved to a small town known as Hector, Arkansas. They took up residence in an old farmhouse without any running water. It was 20 miles away from the nearest paved road. They lived there for several years, and for Jean, this was pure paradise. In fact, for the rest of his life, he would long for that existence again, or what he called the simple life. This brings us to September 15th of 1957, when Mr. Gene Simmons dropped out of school and joined the U.S. Navy. He would meet Rebecca Becky Yulaberry. That could also be Yulabari. I really suck sometimes at like saying pronunciations, especially when the media doesn't help me because they mispronounce words and names all the time. So then I'm left over here trying to pick out the correct pronunciation, sounding it out and just hoping I said it correctly. I do want to say thank you though. A lot of you have stopped writing me trying to correct me and I think you're just like, all right, she's doing her best. She's doing her best. So thank you. The two, though, would quickly fall in love and get married in New Mexico on July 9th of 1960. Just a year after their marriage, the two would welcome their first son, Gene Jr. 
and he would be the first of several. In fact, over the next 18 years, the couple would go on to have seven children. Let's talk about Becky for a minute, because she was exactly the kind of woman that Jean wanted. She was meek, easily intimidated, accommodating, and very codependent. She couldn't drive for herself and became so dependent on Jean, which probably wasn't for the best because he wasn't exactly the best person. Jean ran the household with a iron fist. Even when he wasn't there, he still had pure control. He had set schedules out for their meals, for when laundry needed to be done, and even the house cleaning. He controlled everything about their money and finances, even paying all the bills himself. I mean, okay, that sounds awesome, but that means Becky had her own money, right? No. Hey, I'm all for it. If somebody wants to take all the bills because you can, fantastic, but I mean... What's wrong with going Dutch and splitting them? Anyways, he took control of it, but he did give her some money. He gave her a very, very small allowance, which wasn't even enough to buy food. Becky would write in her diaries, speaking of her Jean, saying things like, my Jean lost his temper today, and she would share her frustration with his extremely tyrannical ways. Yet, she would always tell herself in her journal how he must know what is best. But here's the thing about little old Jean, he was lying. That's right, unbeknownst to her and the rest of her family, they were not actually poor. Gene just led his family to believe they were. Peter Van Zandt now with today's developments. Their worst fears came true. Searchers in the tiny Arkansas town of Dover this morning found the bodies of nine missing members of the Gene Simmons family. Seven bodies were pulled from a freshly dug grave near the family house. Two babies were found in garbage sacks in the trunks of these cars. But there's more. Last night, the bodies of five other family members who came home for the holidays were discovered throughout the house, making this killing ground the worst mass murder in Arkansas history. Unbeknownst to his whole family, they were not actually poor. Gene was just incredibly stingy. After finishing his stint with the Navy, Gene worked briefly at a bank. This bank actually paid him very well. However, his extremely know-it-all attitude and controlling personality chafed his coworkers and supervisors, effectively shutting him out of any promotions. Basically, he was such a fucking dick that nobody wanted to be around him, and because he was such an asshole, he couldn't climb up that ladder at work. So, due to this, he went back into the military. However, he didn't join the Navy, he joined the Air Force this time. He spent 1967 and 68 in Saigon during the Vietnam War. He worked at an office in special investigations during this. By all accounts, he was excelling at his job. In fact, he was considered a model employee, completely efficient and following proper protocol. Proto fucking words. Every single episode, I gotta mess up a word. Protocol. I love how I have a podcast, yet I cannot speak correctly. <laughs> make it make sense. His same monomanical obsession for order and control that he used against his family was now an asset in his job. While he was at the OSI civilian quarters in Saigon, he lived a life of comfort. Jean had a maid service, a cook, and his laundry was delivered directly to his door. He enjoyed an officer's commissary privileges, and when he had R&R, &R, he spent it in Australia. 
Side note, got a friend coming from Australia in, well, uh, just a few days. Thought that was just kind of nifty and wanted to share. Let's continue. Meanwhile, his brand new bride and their, at the time, small three children were living in a tiny travel trailer, all sitting on Becky's family's property. He continued to control all of their finances from across the world, allowing Becky only to have $40 a month. And this wasn't just like money for Becky, this was money for her and their three children. Yes, I know times were different back then, you could afford a lot with $40, but you couldn't support a family. After he returned, he moved his family, which grew from three children to seven. Jesus, they were like fucking rabbits, weren't they? First, they went to San Francisco, then to Cloudcroft, New Mexico. This is where he began pursuing his dream of having an off-the-grid farm. You remember the simple life? Gene would force his children to work long hours to try and make his dream of paradise happening. He would have them build rock walls, put up fences, and various other hard labors. The moment they got home from school until extremely late at night, and even in the summer, the kids were working. He worked them from sunup to sundown. And I get it, okay? Structure is good for kids, but also they're fucking kids. As somebody who was forced to grow up rather early, I think kids deserve to be kids. Don't worry, they get to be a soul-crushing adult eventually. Let them enjoy being children. But Gene didn't do that. <laughs> Why would he? He was such a controlling man. Talking about uh, 14, uh, five in the house that we found. I believe we've got seven in the grave up here and two here in the cars. The man suspected of killing all these people, Gene Simmons, is the same man who yesterday allegedly killed two more people and wounded four others in nearby Russellville, Arkansas. This morning, Simmons, who was refused to speak to police, was formally charged with two counts of murder. I asked the judge to send him to the state hospital for psychiatric examination, which the judge did, and the judge didn't set a bond. He's done nothing in his cell other than lie on the bunk with his face to the wall, just lightly. Very little is known about Gene Simmons. Police say he didn't have a criminal record. Local residents describe him as a loner, a man who wouldn't allow his family to socialize with the outside world. Gene Simmons was so controlling and dominating. He kept his whole family completely isolated. He wouldn't even allow a simple little telephone in the house. They had very little contact with the outside world. He rarely allowed his children to visit with friends or have company over. He had the only key to the mailbox and would read all of the incoming and outgoing mail. Which, maybe I'm wrong, but that sounds an awful lot like prison. While the family was living in isolation and poverty, he bought himself a Honda motorcycle. Then later, he bought a Subaru truck. He covered for his financial mismanagement by taking out loans, both from not just a bank, but also from family. And it's only gonna get worse from here because Gene goes from a tyrannical man to an absolute monster. So far, absolutely so bad. That is until the birth of his youngest child, Rebecca Lynn, in 1977. By now, the couple had had seven children, and all of them had been extremely underweight. 
Becky's obstetrician diagnosed her with an underlying health issue that meant another pregnancy would put her life in danger. He recommended in strong terms that Becky get a tubal ligation. Basically, that she get her tubes tied so that the two no longer have any more kids, meaning she won't have to worry about her life being put on the line. As a woman who was told carrying a child could kill me, I didn't care. My more worry was for the child I was bearing, not my life. So I understand when a doctor's like, yo, if you have any more kids, which we get, you you seem to want them, it could kill you. Maybe, just maybe you don't. You, you, should, you should stop, you could die. However, even at a doctor's referral, a big, hey, you should do this because something's wrong, it could kill her if she gets pregnant. Jean was like, oh, I'm gonna take that chance, all right? Uh, that's, a, that's a risk I'm willing to, to put you in. And by you, I mean his wife. Becky did plead with him, begging him, literally begging for her life because if she got pregnant again, there was a very big chance it could kill her. Finally, finally, after so much time, he relented and he gave in. Thankfully, honestly. However, after that, after she had her tubes tied where she can no longer give birth, have no more children. Sorry, I don't know if it's tied or burned actually. However, she could no longer bear him any more children he kind of began to act different towards her. He was never the same again. He never forgave her for putting her own life and his children's well-being over his well wishes. Well in his mind. He wanted to have, I guess, some massive ever-growing family, almost like a fucking army. It didn't matter that if his wife got pregnant and tried to give birth, it could kill her and the child she was holding. No, that didn't matter. He was so infuriated that she could no longer give him children that he didn't care. He stopped having sex with her completely. In his mind, sex was only to procreate, so what the fuck was the point? She couldn't give him any more kids, so why should he touch her? Ugh, Jean sounds like a garbage man, but hey, it's gonna get worse. Never seen anyone like him, you know? I've, I've met, I know about everybody in Polk County, and, and I ain't never seen anyone where he is. You never did know him, you know, you couldn't get to know him. They, wouldn't, they was quiet people. Quiet, withdrawn, words used to describe many of Simmons' seven children pictured here in their school yearbooks. Investigators believe Simmons murdered half of his family shortly before Christmas, killing the others as they entered his home for a holiday visit. Unopened presents were found in the house, as were the bloody signs of struggle. As I just told you, he stopped basically giving his wife the attention that she desired. Any sexual attention, that was done for. He didn't have a use for her anymore. However, he did begin to turn his attentions elsewhere. And as much as I hate to say this, I wish this is where I introduced him having an affair. But no, mm -mm. it's actually far more grim than that. This is when he began to turn his attention toward his oldest daughter. Sheila. From the time that Sheila Marie was born in October of 1963, it was clear that she was his favorite. It was in around 1978 or 1979 that Jean began to actively groom her. For those of you who are not clear what grooming means, allow me to share with you. 
One tool that is used commonly to abuse kids is known as grooming. This is the form of manipulative behavior that abusers use to gain access to a potential victim. They coerce them into things and make them agree to abuse. It actually reduces the risk of this abuser being caught because the person who's being abused believes that nothing really is wrong. As someone who's been groomed, believe me, the wool they pull over your eyes is very, very believable. Grooming is an evil tool in its own way and its very own form of abuse. While his other children had to beg for money and school supplies, Gene would lavish Sheila with gifts and clothes and jewelry. But his other children, mm, he only gave them criticism, demands, you know, insults. However, Sheila was his little princess, his quote, ladybug. And you know, usually nicknames are terms of endearment when coming from parents. But from Jean, it just makes my skin crawl. Because when Sheila was 15 years old, her father, he began molesting her. That's right, Jean is now a fucking monster. By March of 1981, Sheila was pregnant. And guess who was the dad? Her father! Nothing says I love you, daughter, <laughs> like giving birth to your own brother, son. After dropping her off at her prom, Jean gathered the family and told them that Sheila was pregnant. While he didn't bother telling them that he was in fact the father, Becky knew. Jean laid down the law as usual, commanding the family to simply accept this brand new child and raise it as one of their own. Of course, his wife got extremely depressed. However, she didn't stand up to Jean, she didn't say anything, she just went along with it. Even if she hated it, she didn't stand up and change it. Even though Jean did his best, word about the brand new baby, this bundle of joy, got out. Eventually, word actually made its way to the County Office of Social Services. When questioned, Sheila did admit that her father was also the father of her child. The family was immediately ordered to undergo family counseling. Don't know why he wasn't arrested, but okay. After counseling, Jean was unashamed. Yeah, he said that he did it for his daughter's own good in order to protect her and to teach her. In fact, Jean saw nothing wrong with what he had done. He basically dismissed the counselor's questions and was like, hmm, <laughs> I'm a god, bitch. Jean, Jean, Jean. Ew. That's all I can say. I feel like we need a quick little break before this just gets, you know, worse. Be prepared because it's Jean. Yeah, he just, he's a real shitty human. Just a real piece of trash. Police lines went up just after daybreak this morning as deputies prepared to search for more bodies. They found nothing in the pond, but just a few feet away, someone spotted what looked like a grave. And two feet below the ground, a body. Not one body, but seven, stacked one on top of the other. Police brought them out in body bags. They believe they are Simmons' wife, Becky, his son, Gene Simmons Jr. of El Paso, a grandchild, and four of Simmons' younger children still living at home. 17-year-old Loretta, 15-year-old Eddie, 10-year-old Marianne, and 8-year-old Becky. The sheriff was visibly shaken. Emotionally, fellas, you never get used to it. You never get used to it. And I have a job to do, and I try to 
hold up and do that job. Police believe those in the grave were killed first, possibly Wednesday or Thursday. Then the five in the house arrived from out of town. Police say they were probably killed immediately, and along with them, two grandchildren, each about two years old, found later today in the separate trunks of two cars at the house. Few in this community knew what went on inside of this wall. Neighbors say Gene Simmons and his family lived here in virtual seclusion. So many are not surprised that 14 people could be murdered here Christmas week in secret. Due to the fact that child abuse was heavily looked down upon where Gene was living, he decided to move his family around. First, they settled in Ward, Arkansas, where yet again he impregnated Sheila. But this time, despite his pro-life beliefs, he did obtain a secret abortion for her. Once Sheila had turned 18, she began taking classes at a business school in Little Rock. At first, Jean was very encouraging of her. However, when Sheila began dating a young man by the name of Dennis, Jean wanted to immediately shut it down. I feel like it was one of those, if I can't have her, no one can. <clears throat> Gross. Seriously though, because in his mind, Sheila belonged to him, no one else. This is so disgusting, by the way. It makes me sick to say this kind of stuff. Seriously, I cannot understand how a parent could ever be this kind of heinous. Anyways, because Sheila wasn't really listening to him, he decided, you know what? You can't date Dennis if we fucking move. So he did that. He moved them even farther away from society. Now they were living in a 14-acre lot of land in Dover. Jean actually dubbed this little piece of paradise as Mockingbird Hill. Of course, it was paradise for Jean. For his family, it was probably more like hell. Now, as usual, there was no phone and only indoor plumbing that went to the shower. Water for cleaning and cooking was caught in jugs and buckets and that was lined up outside on the roof. Well, more like on the drip line for the roof. They weren't on the roof. They were catching the water as it fell. There was a somewhat makeshift outhouse that would overflow with heavy rain and would also run down into the pond. So their pond was just full of sewage. Now remember, they didn't have to live like this. Jean just made them. As in New Mexico, Jean had grand dreams of turning this overgrown, disgusting area that he had with his family into a self-sufficient farm. Just as he did in New Mexico, he worked his children and his family hard to make his fantasies a reality. He didn't have the resources, though, that he had before. Because he left his job without any notice, he couldn't get another cushy civil service job. At this point, he was also deeply in crushing debt. So he ended up taking a low-paying shift work job, which he couldn't really hold down. He started hitting on a co-worker by the name of Kathy Kendrick. She was a clerk at the law firm that he worked at, and when he wouldn't back off, she decided to go to a supervisor causing Gene to be fired immediately. His two older boys, little Gene and Billy, moved out and started families of their very own. Despite his father begging, Sheila also moved out and married, that's right, Dennis. She also told her brand new husband all about her daughter's real father. Dennis still accepted her and promised to legally adopt her little girl. This is when Jean realized he was losing control. He began to physically abuse his wife Becky, and he bought another gun. 
On December 18, 1987, Gene quit his part-time job at the Sinclair Mini Mart, and just days later, he would commit mass murder. But the killings didn't stop here at the secluded house. Two, Jim Chafin and Kathy Kendrick, were murdered publicly in Russellville on Monday morning, bringing the total number of bodies to 16. Julie Money says she missed Simmons' bullet during a Monday morning shooting spree. I said when he looked at me with that gun and pointed that gun on me, he had this just horrid grin on his face. And he just, he looked mad. He just looked mad and like a mad dog would look at you. A mad dog, a recluse, a weirdo, and a nice guy. All descriptions of this man. So far, Gene Simmons has said nothing to police, showed no emotion, except at the mention of family. When they would mention where his family was at, how we could contact his family, and this kind of thing, the investigator said the only, only thing then that he saw was his bottom lip would quiver. And the community is quivering, too. Those who knew the family feel fear when they think of 16 murders in their small community and no motive. It's right next door, just a couple houses down. And it was late before we ever got in bed. And I just lay there. I could see those kids' faces. They're scary. Stacy Allison, Channel 4 Eyewitness News. So the very day that I am recording this, 35 years ago, on December 22nd, after the youngest kids left for school, Gene went into the room of his oldest son, Gene Jr. He had brought his three-year-old daughter, Barbara, home for the holidays. Gene Sr. began bludgeoning his son with a metal pipe. And when this didn't kill him, he shot him several times. In another bedroom, Becky was cradling Barbara as she begged Gene for their lives. Gene showed no remorse as he shot Becky and then strangled Barbara with a fishing wire. He loaded their bodies into a wheelbarrow and dumped them in a large pit that the children had dug several months earlier and then doused them in kerosene. He went back to the house, set, and waited. He passed the hours watching TV and slowly getting drunk. When the younger children, Loretta, who was 17, Eddie, who was 14, and Marianne, who was 11, and little Rebecca came home from school, he greeted them in the yard. As he was smiling at them, he began promising them each their very own surprise. While the others waited in the car listening to Christmas carols, he took each in one by one. Once inside, he would strangle his children and hold their heads underwater in a rain barrel just to make sure that they were dead. He then took their bodies out to the very same pit as the others, covering them with dirt and barbed wire. He then put scrap tin over the mass grave in an attempt to keep out any animals. Now, the remaining older children, Billy and Sheila, along with their families, were expected to arrive the day after Christmas. So. Once again, Ronald waited. December 22, 1987, Ronald Gene Simmons began a massacre that became known as the worst family murder case in Arkansas history and the worst crime involving one family in the history of the country. His rampage finally came to a halt December 28, 1987, 
with 14 of his immediate family members and two former co-workers dead and four others wounded. Four days have gone by now. Billy arrives at the house with his wife, Renata, and their infant son, Trey. Gene shot Billy and Renata, laying their bodies by the dining room table. He covered them with their own coats and some bedding. He then turned his attention to his grandson, Trey. Like the other children, he strangled him and then wrapped him in plastic and placed his tiny body into the trunk of a car behind the house. Next to arrive were Sheila and Dennis, along with Sylvia Gale, who was now seven. Remember, Sylvia is also his daughter. Well, his daughter and granddaughter, that's so gross. There was also a second child, a 21-month-old by the name of Michael, who was Dennis and Sheila's biological child. He shot Sheila and Dennis and then strangled the children as well. Sheila and Dennis's bodies were laid in the dining room and covered with their jackets, just like the others. Michael's body was wrapped in plastic and placed in the trunk of yet another car on the property. Sheila, however, was given special treatment in death. Remember, she was his favorite. Her body was laid out on the dining room table and covered with the best tablecloth. He had a very uncomfortable obsession with his daughter. It was very, very disturbing. Later that day, Gene got in the car and drove into Russellville. He stopped at a store and bizarrely picked up some pre-ordered Christmas gifts as if he was going to give them to his family, you know, the ones that he had just massacred. He probably could have just like skipped that off of his to-do list, but uh, okay. That night, he then went to a bar and had a few drinks. He then went back home and just waited out the weekend watching TV and drinking beer, all while the corpses of his family were rotting in the next room. On the morning of December 28th, Gene drove back into Russellville, walked into the law office where he had previously worked and was fired, and shot and killed Kathy Kendrick, the very woman he had been advancing. Next, Gene went to another previous employer, the Taylor Oil Company, where he shot and killed J.D. Chaffin. He also wounded the owner, Rusty Taylor. He then drove to the Sinclair Mini Mart, shot it up, and wounded two more people. Afterwards, he then went to the office of Goodline Motor Freight Company, where, you guessed it, he opened fire and wounded another person. Gene Simmons then simply sat in the office and chatted with one of the secretaries while waiting for the police, you know, just one of those, so, up until uh, this whole thing, how's your day been going? I mean, side note, seriously, what the fuck could they have been talking about? I'm sure she was terrified and he's sitting there just like chilling with a gun after shooting people. I don't think I'd be so chatty. Anyway, when the police arrived, Gene handed over his gun and surrendered without any resistance. Gene was charged with a total of 16 counts of murder. During the trial, when prosecuting attorney John Bynum presented a note that Gene had written to Sheila professing his love for her. Ew! Gross! I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> what I meant to say was that's fucking nasty! Gene nonetheless lashed out at John over this, punching him in the face, and then he tried to grab a deputy's handgun as well. Of course, officers rushed him and pulled him out of the courtroom in chains. Apparently, Gene was really sensitive about the love he had for his daughter, as inappropriate and disgusting as it was. 
As you can imagine, Jean would be found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection plus 147 years. Just in case dying wasn't enough, he'd also be locked away if somehow he survived or I don't know if his ghost showed up. Why is there sentencing after death? I, I honestly don't know. Jean did refuse all appeals, even fighting in court for the right to do so. And on May 31st, 1990, Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton signed Jean's execution warrant. And yes, it's that Bill Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes, you did, Billy. Sorry, got distracted. Nonetheless, this was the quickest sentence to execution time since the death penalty had been reinstated in 1976. Not one of his relatives would claim his body after death. So, Ronald Gene Simmons Sr. was buried in a pauper's field in Varner, Arkansas. And that is where he rots today. I hate people cause people suck, man. People suck and they keep on fucking sucking. People suck, people suck, people suck. I'm like y'all. People suck, people suck, people suck. It's not my fault. They say what goes around comes back around. But sometimes you get fucked cause people suck, people suck, people suck. And that is a story of our Christmas past. One of the Simmons family and how that Christmas would be their last. So I'll leave you with visions of sugar plums dancing in your head and of a reminder that this Christmas, you could end up dead. Listen, I am not a poet, but this is my own version of a Christmas carol. I brought to you a story of a Christmas past, a story where a family was brutally ended. So here is a reminder that there are real monsters in the world. And more often than not, they are right next to you. Please stay safe. I hope you survive this holiday season, be it from your family or not. Stay safe, and I hope that you'll meet me here next week for another episode of What the Actual F. If you have a case or something you'd like me to look into, please send me an email at whatstheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. However, until next time, stay safe. Because I never want to tell a story about you. Until next time, love you later. Bye!